occasionally people still come up and be like, Dallas, how do I become a photographer? Or Dallas, how do I do, how do mm. I get into this? Should I go to photo school? And I'm like, no. Aloha, everyone, and welcome to the B-Rad Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Watanabe, and today we have a very special guest, my creative and fun and amazing friend, Dallas Nagata-White. We talk about expectations, we talk about creativity, moving from one thing to another, and how to land on something that really means something to you as a creative, as a, as a human. Uh, and we get into all kinds of fun little details about her life and creative journey. So with that, welcome Dallas Nagata-White. Brad, glad to be here. Dallas, it's it's been a minute uh, yes. since we've we've talked, since we've uh, gotten to actually hear what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I've I've pretty much been a hermit for maybe the last three years, and I'm only finally starting to get out of that. Um, I a lot of people knew this, but I I don't know I've ever really talked about it like in a public podcast setting like sure. this. But uh, yeah, no, I just finished going back to school and don't ever let me do that again. Like I was, it was worth it. Yeah. But no, never again. <laughs> I'm done with school. <laughs> but school, I mean, you're so good at school. I mean, I am good at school. It's the best thing I've ever been like. It's, I've made more money from school <laughs> than I think ever anything else. Wait, because... wait. So tell, what, what do you mean about that? <laughs> um, I've been thrown scholarships all my life because I'm really good at being a student. Yeah. And people being like, yes, let me invest in you here. Have some money. <laughs> and so, um, I mean, I'm the one I, you know, I graduated number two in my class. Number one went to MIT. We're still good friends. I went, I was number two, though. Went to UH Manila, full ride scholarship. And of course, I spent it on art because that was a great business decision. <laughs> Art's <laughs> um, always something you can spend more money on, for yeah. sure. And then um, I actually did manage to scrape together a couple scholarships uh, this past stint in school at Honolulu Community College. So. Very, very cool. Yeah, uh, but now I'm done and back to like, okay, now I have to really earn the money that is coming in. Um, and of course, I decided to go get a fashion degree. So that is also a questionable business decision, but we are going with it. Very, very cool. So for our friends who don't know your amazing background, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and, and how that journey started for you. Okay, well, I grew up on the island of Maui and I grew up on the mountain because my dad worked at Haleakala National Park my whole life. So he actually retired in 2009. Um, wow, he's been out 10 years. Good job, dad. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I grew up very outdoorsy kid, yeah. um, like always hiking, um, playing in the forest outside my house. Uh, you know, like we, we weren't rich, obviously. My dad was a federal employee. My mom's a science fiction writer. So, you know, I get my creative aspiration from yeah. her like well I'm gonna do this thing that I love even though it might not be the most successful thing to do but that's what we do um so yeah I, I grew up just kind of being creative like mm. I was the kid they give me the box of the dot matrix printer paper and you draw on that for days and days and days or um you go outside and you build forts and you carve weapons and you have imaginary wars with imaginary creatures and yep. I was kind of a role-playing ringleader, I guess, for the neighborhood kids. Like, I would organize these games and stuff, and yeah. which is weird, because I do not play Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> I just never got into that. Um, but yeah, so I had a pretty creative yet outdoorsy upbringing, <laughs> um, which all kind of came crashing down when the internet became a thing. Mm. And so about circa 1997, I became, so I was 10 years old, I think, proud citizen of the internet since then. 
um, living most of my social life on there. And that led to the general nerdiness. Like, you know, I've been playing video games pretty much since I was able to play video games. Um, so like the old apples and the big yep. floppy disks, like, yep, there's me, like not knowing what I'm doing in King's Quest, but I was doing it. And um, yeah, just became a, such a computer person. But that kind of opens up a whole other world of creativity. So, yeah. you know, not the hands-on outside, but like growing up in that digital age definitely informed who I am today. For sure. Because, um, you know, I first started using Photoshop in 1999 to color anime fan art drawings. And my parents got me a very early Graphire uh, Wacom tablet mm -hmm. so that I could color on the computer. And, you know, that's then um, high school was 2000 to 2004. And I'm fighting the battles with my art teacher who's just trying to get me to like learn how to actually draw, not just draw anime. And I appreciate that battle because even though I, I thought it sucked, it, you know, build a foundation. That's important. Don't yep. just copy other things. And, uh, but yeah, just like digital art on the rise, fighting for it to be respected. Um, and then I went to college and accidentally fell into photography. Hmm. So that's kind of the lead up of my journey. <laughs> very, very, very cool. Already all over the place with lots of indecision about what I wanted to do. <laughs> And, and you're a country girl. Um, that's that's actually where my dad grew up, right? In Kula. So mm -hmm. we actually share that in common. Kula for life. An amazing place to grow up. Yeah. And not the Hawaii people think of when they think of Hawaii. Like literally ranch land and yeah. pastures. And you're an hour from the beach. So mm -hmm. like you're not a surfer. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Grew up on the carnation farms with, with my grandparents. And yeah, it's a whole different Hawaii life that people aren't really accustomed to. Mm -hmm. So you took that kind of that bundle of interests and uh, passions and even and skill sets and turn that into something that you wanted to pursue. You went into photography, started doing some amazing images. <laughs> well, I, again, and I think I've told you before, but mm -hmm. that was an accident in itself. Yeah. Like I, starting at UH, I originally wanted to do the Academy of Creative Media because I wanted to be a 3D animator. And then... Um, because of my anxiety, more on that later. Uh, <laughs> I chickened out, honestly, and just was like, I'm just gonna do an art degree. And I did mm. wanna be an illustrator at that point, but all the drawing and painting classes were full my first semester, but intro photography was open. Mm. And um, my dad has been an advanced amateur photographer his whole life, like shooting um, my whole childhood on Kodachrome slide film. Like he had all the really nice um, Nikon F cameras. So I grew up around it, but I also wasn't allowed to touch the cameras. So I really hadn't had a lot of experience, but you know, that was the very early days of like digital point and shoots becoming readily available. Sure. And so I started actually doing light photography um, in order to photograph my own references for drawings and paintings. Um, and then from there, taking that photography class, I was like, oh, actually, I really like this. Hmm. Um, so during college the first time, I actually did like about 50-50 photography and painting. Um, but it's only because um, my first boss, uh, Deja Fallis, amazing fashion photographer, um, she had reached out to the photo department looking for an assistant um, who knew Canon digital equipment, which is what I shot at the time. And she had in the email had been like, you know, like, oh, I'm looking for an assistant, you know, like any interested students, um, please get back to me. And I had seen the email because I was on the list, but I was like, oh, no, I suck. I can't do that. I'm not going to respond. So I didn't do anything. And then my professors um, forwarded her my email. 
We were mm. like, oh, Dallas is perfect for this. Here's Dallas. And I hadn't even said anything. Wow. And so then she emailed me directly. I'm like, oh, now I have to respond. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like, again, uh, anxiety. <laughs> Yet somehow managing to, the world pushes me through it mm. and like shoves the opportunity in my face anyway. And I'm yeah. like, well, now I can't say no. Okay. And that's how I became a photographer post-college. <laughs> and I think that's actually a, a big part of seizing opportunity when it hits you in the face. I mean, yeah. we, we get some opportunities that we'll never get again, and those could determine our life's outcome in many ways. Yeah. And I'm still working on that. Like I've turned down a lot of things in my life that mm. I really should not have turned down. Mm. Um, but all I can do is just try to not do that in the future. Sure. Now that I've got a better grip on myself and like figuring out why I do the things that I do or why I've done them in mm. the past and then just try to improve on that. But you're a woman of many talents. Um, <laughs> photography uh, was also a big part of getting into cosplay. Yes. And that's a journey that I think a lot of people have seen from an, an external perspective. But cosplay, I mean, I've talked about it even with my buddy Mauna. It's, it's a way to kind of become a superhero or a caricature or a, a, an, an anime character you know, creature of some sort that you can't be in real life. Yeah. And that's a fascinating part of what, what cosplay is from an exterior, like an onlooker's perspective. And you got to capture that mm -hmm. and become some of those creations yourself. What was that for like, like for you? Um, well, okay. For me, there's actually, it's a, it's a twofold thing for how I got into cosplay. So I had actually cosplayed um, before I even had really realized cosplay was a term, at, like early in high school, um, I had, I've always been a crafty person, right? I'm always like, I want to, if there's something I like, I want to try to make it. So mm. uh, when I was 16 years old for Halloween, I made a video game character cosplay. Didn't know how to sew besides the straight stitch that they taught in home economics. Um, for some reason, we had a sewing machine, and I actually don't know why we had one. Mm. I will have to ask my mother. But... Uh, I managed to make this like half skirt that had actually a gradient dye and I was like I had bought dye and I was in a bucket in the bathtub like dip dyeing to make a gradient hmm. on fabric to make this skirt. I had no idea what I was doing. But I did it. And so you know I remembered that it's fun to like craft and make things. Sure. Um so then this is started around I want to say circa 2015, 2014-2015. Actually, okay. Back it up. Sorry. Brief note, 2014 is, um, I had been doing photography professionally for about four years and I got really burnt out. Mm. It was a combination of anxiety, career frustration, um, also the feeling like I had been trying to be in fashion, but I'm a nerd, like I'm not a cool kid, I'm not cool and fashionable. Um, mm. I, you know, cause you have this image of like what fashion is supposed to be and it's the magazines, it's mm. TV, now it's influencers and it's like, you see that and you're like, that's not me. Like, what am I doing? So I just didn't really feel like I belonged in the fashion industry because uh, I just didn't, couldn't find my place where I felt like, yes, these are my people, even though mm -hmm. I liked it. Like, mm -hmm. I love the imagery, but I didn't like all the other stuff as much that goes mm -hmm. with it. So um, in 2014, I had gone on a trip to Europe um, for almost a month, actually. It was a good opportunity where I had been flown out by friends who hired me to basically be their vacation photographer. Yeah, I remember that. So that was, it was amazing. But there was a moment later when we had gone down to Italy to um, visit some friends uh, who were stationed there. And we were um, at Capri 
um, sailing around on the island, drinking wine, having like the greatest day of my yeah. life at that point, besides my wedding, I love you, honey. <laughs> um, and I, I just kind of realized I wasn't happy hmm. at home. Cause it was that midpoint of a trip where you're like, you have enough distance um, but before you go home, but you're also halfway done. Mm. And you kind of get that feeling of like, oh, I don't want this to end. Mm. And that's when I realized I just wasn't happy with like how my life was going uh, career-wise. Cause a lot of my identity is my work, right? That's the yep. problem with being an artist. It's not just like work and play. It's like, this is my life. Um, so I came home, basically had a drastic like meltdown, honestly, mm. of just like how unhappy I was. And that's when I went on medication. <laughs> for anxiety and depression, which wow. I wish I had gone on it earlier in my life. My life would be vastly different at this point. But I had seen therapists and psychologists who are very like anti-medication. But yeah. honestly, it's a chemical thing in my brain that I kind of needed that push to understand what it feels like to feel more balanced, more mm. normal. So that was like a big trigger of change in my life. And so then I started to kind of like pull back from photography a little bit because it was a source of unhappiness. It's kind of, I always describe it like it was a almost a bad breakup, like where mm. like we still loved each other, but it was hurtful and it was just um, not a good time. So I then kind of um, started pulling back, started shooting less and at the same time um, embracing what I loved, which is my nerdiness, the video games, the movies, mm. the, the anime, ev like everything. And with that, I started hanging out with a lot of friends who were doing cosplay. And so I know that was a really long story yeah. to like come back to that, but it was really important time yeah. for me that really changed basically everything. Sure. Um, so cosplay, I mean, it's huge now, like even just since 2014 like the industry has changed so much it is so mainstream people have it as their careers it's pretty crazy but at the time a lot of um cosplay photography i mean i do have i'm lucky enough that we have such a cool community of photographers here like um that there were a few people like doing really cool shoots but overall the majority of cosplay photography is like convention hallway shots right so it was kind of like me taking it and being like, I don't want to shoot at the convention center, mm. but let's try to make these cosplay shoots look more like fashion. And so like actually taking them on locations to do sure. these like kind of epic shoots and put my flavor of style yep. on it. And so that's what started. And then again, me being a crafty person, I'm just like, that looks fun. I think I want to do it too. Um, and I actually didn't make my first major cosplay. Um, my friends made it for me, and it was oh. Halo Spartan armor. That was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we gotta we gotta send out a photo of that because that was ridiculous. Yeah. So I mean, I, I helped paint it, but they made it. Yeah. Um, but we did this epic shoot. Or my husband Ed, he took the picture of me at Magic Island. I think it was during Hawaii Geek Meet. Yep. So like everyone's there, and. Um, yeah, it's a photo of me standing in my armor out on the rocks, like holding my helmet and diamond heads in the background. And that picture actually was like the promo image for the Imgur app on the Apple's like iOS mobile store for yeah. like a good couple years. Wow. Like it was cuz it had been like one of the top pictures like with upvotes and stuff and I'm, I've I have a very nice following of people who follow my work, but I've never been huge. I've never been an influencer. I've never had more than 8k followers on any platform so you know i'm not saying like oh i'm internet famous but it was cool to have that viral moment and it wasn't for my photography it was for like just mm. the combination of everything like because you know i edit the photos i help 
and Creative figure direct, out um, like yeah like what yeah. i kind of want to do um but it was a big collaboration of me and all my friends doing something really nerdy and stupid that a lot of people got to see and enjoy yeah so yeah that's how i started in cosplay for the next few years <laughs> and and I, I love that it's a culmination of all of these different facets of dallas that might be hidden to the general public <laughs> um but allows you to kind of become I think the most creative you can possibly be. You bring in your fashion in interest. You bring in your your kind of nerdy comic book, you know, fantasy life along with your photography and your creative direction. And when when that stuff hits, it 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 means something to people. Yeah. And I feel like that's what even even today some of imagery is lacking. It's mm -hmm. it's more about um, kind of fantastic landscapes that are hard to get to or um you know these these epic moments that normal humans can approach just on foot or, or in the air but you actually created a whole environment from nothing yeah which is exponentially harder to do um, it takes a lot of preparation a lot of planning and a lot of foresight it takes some really good armor builders i mean that armor is made out of um paper coated in resident fiberglass see that's so that's like, just ridiculous to me cosplayers are such an inspiration yeah. like i'm not even i mean of course now i have the sewing background now that i have the degree but like just like what people have been able to do out of their own homes like i mean the 3d printing thing is like a whole new world uh, i mean it's not that new but now it's becoming more accessible and mm. like seeing what people are making like just in their own homes it rivals Hollywood sure. prop makers is crazy. And so I really enjoy that aspect of cosplay that it is at its base for fun. It's play, like mm. it's it's in the name, but um, people can be so professional and so just high skilled in all different facets. I mean, you can have an electrician putting together your lights for your costume, you have the sculptors, you have blacksmiths. I mean, people are forging stuff for costumes. <laughs> <It's> amazing. <laughs> and I mean, and then that's not to say all like the hand sewing, cutting, designing, um, textile design, like makeup, hair, mm -hmm. and then the photography. It's like, yeah, it's such a a house of production. It's it's pretty amazing. And the purpose of cosplay to me has has always seemed a little bit like a um, it sounds negative. It's not meant to be, but it's for a show. Mm -hmm. It's performance. It's it's performance art um, for a particular event or or something like that. Um, versus like it being in a theatrical film or or something like that. And I mm -hmm. always wonder, like, are there ways that cosplayers might start? journeying into the filmmaking world. Um, some of them do. Yeah. Um, some of them do fan films um, that are very impressive. I mean, the thing about cosplay, and this is a very complicated issue, is that, you know, half the people are like, it's for fun, it's for play, you can do whatever you want, and as long as you're having a good time, like, that's what counts. But then there's the side that it is their jobs. Yeah. Um, and yes, these people tend to be the ones that physically look like the characters that they are playing the most and mm -hmm. unfortunately like for a lot of us like especially as mixed breed people like we don't really look like any of these characters because a lot of these characters are like white 
characters mm-hmm. and but you know so there i see the people that are um they look like the characters when they do the makeup i mean it's not just like automatic easy for them they're obviously doing the hard work but i see them becoming so successful because people will say like oh this property that's it's now being developed into a show or a movie but this cosplayer already looks like them they should just be cast you know because they already look like that character and it's those people that just take it to that next level and they'll make a fan film. They do these intense photo shoots and they gather other people that look just like the characters and it really does look like the, the story come to life. Mm-hmm. Um, so for actually taking it into the like filmmaking more, um, there, there are cosplay contests where they do skits and mm-hmm. so there is an acting component to it. Mm-hmm. But it's hard because I don't know how successful it will be without having the look mm. i guess if that makes sense it, mm. it, it's a weird issue because there are definitely cosplayers out there who don't look like the characters but mm. because they have that thing that sets them apart performance wise they make it work and you you believe you're like yes i believe that this is this character now sure um but again that's kind of like you know everyone goes to la because they want to act or make movies right mm. and if they don't have what it takes they're not going to do it so it's always a matter of like are you on the side where it's for fun or are you inside where you want to like be professional and like mm. put all this money and time and effort into making a very successful thing. They all well, you hope that it's going to be successful. Sure. And th- that sounds exactly like every other creative dilemma out there. Yeah. It's it's something that most people start for for leisure whether it's taking pictures or making home movies um and it becomes making wedding videos and then event photography or whatever but transforming something that was just a leisure for play activity into something that can be monetized, something that, I mean, you're spending hours and weeks on these projects, but how do you turn that into something that's profitable, Mm -hmm. something that's sustainable if you want to turn that into a career? Um, And that transition for for me has been interesting. Then that transition for you has been interesting as well. Well, I definitely haven't made cosplay into a career, (laughs) but I I have a lot of friends who do it and it's props to them. And I think, again, especially with new media stuff, like, you know, digital photography and video, like I know the video world changed when DSLRs could start to shoot video because suddenly everyone had professional looking filmmaking capability. Um, But... I think one of the problems is also when you're the first to do something or you're the one that cracks the code, how do I make this a business? Mm-hmm. And then you have like maybe like five to 10 people after you who can do similar enough, but different enough that they can also be successful. Mm-hmm. And then after that, everyone's trying to copy everyone and it becomes oversaturated and no one cares anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with cosplay, you know, of course the greatest cosplayers uh, or greatest since I mean like, it is their job they're making the money mm-hmm. it's the sexy cosplayers because mm. sex sells right so um they're the ones that they're like because it was jessica negri i think that really made it go mainstream you know she's got millions of followers um because she, she started she went to a comic con i think and she dressed up as sexy pikachu and it went viral wow. like she's in a, like a cute little bikini but she's like i'm pikachu with like the ears yeah. and the tail and everyone went nuts for it Hmm. And, you know, to this day, she this is what she does. Like, that is her full-time job. Um, she does Patreon and, um, you know, sells photo sets. And, yeah, like, it's the lewds. Like, they're not nudes. It's not, like, explicitly pornography or anything. It, the term is lewds. Um, huh. And, yeah, there. and it's not just her. There's, like, tons of these girls that 
that's what they do. They're making costumes, but they're making the sexy version of the costumes. Sure. And they're making that money. But now, I think the problem is a lot of, um, especially younger girls who are wanting to start off, they look at that success and they feel like that's what I have to do if I want to actually do this. Because there's much less cosplayers that are not doing that kind of sexified, as far as the females go, um, mm. not doing that kind of sexy stuff and still being like financially successful doing it. Sure. So, and I, I feel like I felt that when I was, took my brief stint of like, I'm just shooting landscapes now because you know, you look at Instagram, you see these kinds of pictures and you see like, yeah, the millions of followers people are getting. You're like, I want a piece of that. So I'm going to do this thing. But then that kind of um, dilutes you as an artist and like what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's how do you balance that, um, you know, chasing that marketing, like I wanna be a business, so I need to do what like my potential customer wants, but at the same time, like how do you stop yourself from just trying to follow the formula of someone else? You know, growing up with you know, Asian culture, Hawaiian culture, we have all of these expectations about what we're going to do with our life, um, to be good citizens, to be able to take care of our families, to all of these personal expectations. Um, how has that played into any of your decisions to, to move forward in creative industries or any of that? I mean, I'm pretty lucky because, um, you know, my dad's a Japanese one, but he was kind of a hippie. He's like, I'm a park ranger. I'm saving the environment. Yeah. So it wasn't like he was a doctor or a lawyer or an mm -hmm. engineer. And then my mom, as I mentioned, is a science fiction writer. So, you know, um, she, she did take time off, like, I think around middle and high school because she had gotten frustrated in her career. Like, you know, she had had critical acclaim, but just not the sales to back it up, even though she'd been published by big publishing houses and like had like won awards and stuff yeah. but um so she took the time and she actually went into uh database programming for the web hmm. so you know she spent a handful of years doing that um as a career just so she didn't feel um like she wasn't contributing to mm -hmm. the household and mm -hmm. everything um but you know she then quit and went back to writing and went back um she started self-publishing mm -hmm. And then one of her books uh, got nominated for a Nebula Award, and it was the first self-published novel to be nominated. And um, she was nominated alongside Neil Gaiman. So, like, that's a big name mm. to, like, be in the same category as. And then she actually got a publishing deal with Simon & Schuster for that trilogy of books out of that. So, you know, even though she had stopped for a while, like she went back and tried again. And mm. now, she, you know, she's still writing. It's still not the easiest thing, mm. but you know, she's still doing it and I'm pretty proud of her. So I can look at that and be like, you know, I also, you know, I've had some critical acclaim. I've had many accomplishments and many opportunities that I've been proud of. And yet I'm still struggling to like, have a regular paycheck but as I was telling you before we started like now um, with fashion I've added another skill set which has allowed me to have at least a part-time job or now I am making a regular paycheck even mm. though it's part-time and that's the first time in my adult life that that's happened for me so in my whole life let's, let's not kid ourselves <laughs> yeah. here my whole life um, and so I know my parents are proud of me and I know that um, 
they're definitely happy about that regular paycheck yep. I'm getting now. Yep. Um, but I don't know. I, they've been so amazingly supportive. So I don't feel I've had as much of that pressure. And I think having a lot of scholarships in college helped because it wasn't like, I mean, you know, they helped me out otherwise. Like after yep. I graduated, you know, I didn't have to be paying off student, student loans. loans. Um, so they helped float me for the year I was assisting as a photographer because a photography assistant in Hawaii is not going to be able to pay the rent yep. on that alone. But because I was spending all my time learning and working, um, they would help me out sure. when they could or when I needed it. And yeah. so I am super appreciative of yeah. that fact. And I realize I am very lucky because I went from then, you know, having my parents helping me to then getting married at 23 <laughs> to a wonderful man yep. who had a real job. Yeah. <laughs> and he's still the one paying the mortgage, but while pursuing his own dreams and helping me mm. with mine. Mm. So I, I can't emphasize enough how lucky I am. And I, as much as like, I've had all my issues and anxiety and depression and whatnot, I can, I can be logical and like see mm. that. Um, sure. I'm pretty blessed mm. with opportunity despite everything. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to have a support system when you're in a field that is so, um, kind of, I don't know if futile isn't the right word, Tumultuous. but yeah, I mean, <laughs> Just like, cause you don't know, you don't know what's, what's happening. Gonna, and, and your work is often based on a potential client's need. Yeah. So if that need goes away or, they're able to find a new supplier or vendor for that creative work or somebody younger and newer and trendier takes your place, then there isn't really a good way for you to change that outcome. Mm -hmm. And being a creative is, is hard yeah. in that regard. It, it hits upon even our own personal expectations of what we should be doing, where we should be going with our life or business or um, has that affected you at all um, in your own personal creative endeavors, your own expectations of yourself? Or... Yeah, I mean, you always get that feeling. Like I, I had skipped kindergarten uh, <laughs> going into school, so I was always younger than everybody. And so, you know, my whole life from like my teens into mm -hmm. my 20s, people are always telling me, oh, my God, Dallas, you're so talented and you're so young. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, once you're like not the young one anymore, and you're seeing, because now I just turned 33, um, and I see 19-year-old kids coming out and just, like, rocking it. And I have, it's frustrating, um, because I, you know, I'm not saying, like, I'm better than them, they suck, I should be better. I'm, it's just, it's frustrating after trying for so many years and then not getting it and seeing it looks easy to other people. But you got to realize it's it's in some ways it is and that like kids these days, I think especially for our industries have so much more to work with yeah. to start than we had. Yep. Um, Cause I mean, you know, we remember the internet before YouTube and yeah. we remember like photography before like everyone had DSLRs um, and you know, video editing. Did you ever actually like edit film, like cutting f actual film reels? For my animation films, yeah. Yeah, like they won't know what that is. They won't know what that is, no. Um, so, there, there is that aspect of it, but I also don't want to be like the cranky old lady with my cane, like kids get off my lawn, you know, I was, like it's frustrating, but it's life. Life's not fair. And you mm -hmm. kind of got to like take what comes and do your best with it. Cause that's all you can do. Yeah. Um, I, you know, there's plenty of people out there, um, in industries that I've been in that I've looked at their work and I, I can be honest and I'll be like, they're not that good, 
but oh my God, are they a better business person than I will ever mm. be? And that's a big aspect of it too. Sure. Like you can't float on creativity alone. It's gonna, there's, business is like 90% of it, I would say, and creativity is 10% of it. And mm -hmm. it's what you can do uh, with that 90% business is gonna make or break you as a business creative person. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably one of the biggest um, things that I have to dispel for young artists mm -hmm. is just like, dude, it's, it's great that you're talented. It's great that you know how to shoot these things in this way. But if you don't know how to talk to people in a professional manner, mm -hmm. if you don't know how to actually get clientele, this will always be a hobby. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the truth of the matter. Like this is a business, not just play. Yes. And I mean, that took me years to figure out because, you know, I would be there. I would be like, like, people say my pictures are so good. Why won't anyone pay for them? Mm. And it's honestly, I mean, one, rough industry, two, very oversaturated, three, I suck at business. And I suck at like pursuing those personal connections because I have anxiety. Mm. And so while I have no problem public speaking, I have no problem speaking on a podcast, I can talk to people one-on-one, -on -one, but I have a really hard time selling myself because, and I think that comes back to that Asian cultural sure. influence. So even though I didn't, have direct like you need to be successful doctor or mm -hmm. whatever you know you you don't like to talk about money you don't mm -hmm. want to like seem so full of yourself you want to be humble right so mm -hmm. it's really hard to sell yourself when you're also just telling everyone like oh no i'm not that good or oh no like yeah um you know yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't you don't have to pay me that much or oh is that too much or yep. I'm, I'm not really worth that you know it's like you have to let that go yeah. And I'm still working on that yeah. to this day. Like I, um, I, I can sell other people. Like you give me someone else, like I'll tell everyone how cool B-Rad Studios is. It's like, you got to work with Brad, by the way, I sold you to my boss. <laughs> um, and he said he's interested in being on the podcast. Um, but like, I, it's hard for me to do that for myself. It's, and that's why I've always asked like, who wants to be my manager? And like, yeah. I'll give you 15%. Any, any takers? Cause I'm still looking. <laughs> <laughs> but the, yeah. um, I think that's really hard as a creative if you're not already kind of have that e artistic ego because some some people have it and mm -hmm. you might find them obnoxious but hey it's working for them and they're they're doing the thing mm -hmm. but for a lot of people we're so insecure about our art because it's such an intimate expression of ourselves yep. and then we're just like who's gonna want this and if you don't think anyone wants it no one's gonna want it cause yeah you need to put it out there yep and and I think there's also this notion of your you're kind of viewed professionally um, and by the world as your last best thing. Mm -hmm. And so your next thing has to be better than that or at least up to par. Otherwise, you're seen as kind of on this downward trend. Um, so if we're not constantly outdoing ourselves, we're actually decreasing in our value in other people's eyes. Yeah. And so that constant need to one-up ourselves gets so tiring. Yeah. Like, I mean, I peaked in 2012. <laughs> what have I been doing since then? Because <laughs> that was the lava kiss photo. I've never had a success like that. And that, that was eight years ago. But even in that lava <laughs> kiss, it was spontaneous. It yes. wasn't commercial. I wasn't it trying. Wasn't, yeah. It just happened. Um, and I mean, I'm glad it did change my life, obviously. Like I've met so many people around the world, had so many opportunities because of that picture. But 
you know, even though like Instagram was pretty early at that time and, you know, get some followers, mm -hmm. you know, nowadays everyone's like overly conscious about that. And yeah, they're trying to outdo themselves every time. And for me, I'm just like, I'll post something new and then I'll like lose five followers because I come up in their feed and they're like, oh, I don't care about this person anymore. Unfollow. Mm. And it's hard to not let that get to you. Right. Yeah. You're like, wow, I suck. No one cares anymore. Um, when that's not true, because yeah. people care and the, you want people following you who care. Exactly. So if they don't care, it's better that they're not following you. Right. Mm -hmm. um, because, again, we, I guess we come back to how art is performance. So, yeah, cosplay is performance. Mm -hmm. you're, but so is, so is making anything creative it's, if you put it out there. Because yep. if it wasn't performance, you would just be, like, keeping it to yourself and never showing anybody. Hmm. So, like, yeah, making a video is performance. Um, mm -hmm. Taking a picture and posting it is performance. And you want the audience. You want them to applaud and not throw tomatoes at you. <laughs> I don't even like tomatoes, so I'm <laughs> glad. Um, so transitioning from that, I mean, the two pieces that you feel like have been kind of pivotal in your career, um, from the, the Diamond Head cosplay image to the Lava Kiss, neither of those were for a client. No. They were self-exploration. They were for fun um, versus some of the other projects you've done for businesses, specifically for marketing purposes, commercial purposes. I mean, do you find a different kind of value intrinsically in making your own art versus helping other people to craft their brand? Uh, yes. And I think that is because at, at my innermost heart, I am an artist, right? Um, and the best situations are when that innermost art comes out and then someone buys it and you're just like, I am so validated right now. Because mm. even my most like long time public image, I would say, is actually on the Hawaiian Airlines website. And it's still there. And it's a picture of a double rainbow over Waikiki from early in the morning. So it's looking out over the ocean with a double rainbow. I took that photo on the morning after um, my soon-to-be husband got back from Afghanistan to come back home for our wedding for two weeks before mm. going back for another seven months. So that's a very personal photo, actually, for mm -hmm. me. Like, cause got our hotel room in Waikiki, and I took the photo that morning. Mm. And... Um, and now it's on a website that, you know, zillions of people see. Yeah. But it was a it was a personal moment that resonated with the client. And then they decided to yeah. um, keep it for years. Like it's been on the website for years at this point. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've I'm not the best at production. I'm better at spontaneous stuff. Obviously, that's like my strength throughout my career as a photographer, especially. Um, but, you know, I, I've had the chance to try to like develop things for clients. So I was actually the main marketing photographer for an Australian swimwear brand for um, about two years almost, um, Two Chili Swimwear, which was a fantastic experience because I got to work with my good friend Lauren and she has manager at the store at the time, but also served as the art director on the shoot. Hmm. So together we would like plan the locations like based on the prints that they would send us and then just go off with the model and just like make images mm -hmm. that which were then like on buses in Australia or like one was published in Vogue Australia as an ad. So cool. So like that, you know, I've I've had the taste of that, but I feel like my I feel most fulfilled, though, in those spontaneous moments because I kind of like the blessed happenstance when mm -hmm. you know something just comes together you're just like wow that's so cool i couldn't have made this if i tried hmm. yeah there's something about just the serendipity and the the magical 
happenstance nature of some of these moments we're able to capture because we're in the right spots. Yeah. Um, and then there's this magical sense when we actually get to craft that from yeah. scratch. And you're like, oh my God, it came out how I wanted it exactly. to come out. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it goes both ways. And I feel like some people will prefer one side or the other. I always tell, like, especially models on shoots, I am not an over-directing photographer. Like, just do things. Hmm. And I'll be here quietly behind my camera, like, catching you doing those things. Sure. Rather than micromanaging, like, every little aspect yeah. of the image. Yeah. And, and honestly, we're actually living in the time of the most um, interest in being a model because people want to be influencers mm -hmm. where they become their own model. They become their own personal brand. Yes. Um, working with some of those um, talent who are not trained as models to act or pose, I don't know. Have you come up to any um, challenges in... Uh, you typically want to allow a model to direct themselves because that's their strength. Yeah. That's what they do well. But some of these other people who aren't quite as uh, not trained but experienced in that specific discipline, how do you work with them in a different way? So I'm actually not the best director. <laughs> um, again, I am the girl that's hiding behind the camera in the back. But luckily, um, working with my husband um, on photo shoots, we actually not just shooting people like influencer type people, but also training new models because we used to shoot mm -hmm. um, test portfolios. Um, we have it down to a science now where he'll start to talk to them about like what character they see themselves playing in the shoot. Hmm. Um, and then I think he called it mirror neurons, where if you're thinking about it, like I'm thinking I'm like, Charlize Theron and Mad Max, you know, <laughs> love her, right? So mm -hmm. I was just like, then you start thinking about her and you start thinking about how badass she is and tough and mm -hmm. like is taking like no BS from anybody. And then that will actually translate to your face mm -hmm. as you're thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what we've told people who are not used to being in front of a camera like that. Like you have to, you can't not be thinking about anything, but also don't be thinking about what you're doing because that will also show on your face. You mm -hmm. need to be um getting getting yourself into that mindset yeah. and then it will from inside project sure. outwards yeah you have to become the character right yeah which again goes back to cosplay yeah. <laughs> so i think we're, we're such like a a selfie mm -hmm. culture now and i mean I can, the whole like homogenization of imagery thanks to social media is probably a whole other podcast yep. that i could do with you but um i I look at people and they all start taking the same pictures yep. and you're like, no, but then, then I don't know you from like anybody else. So mm -hmm. even though you think that this is what people want, you need to like push beyond that, mm -hmm. be something new and different. And that's, what's going to set you apart. Mm -hmm. Like we don't need another clone of someone trying to be someone else. Yep. Yep. I mean, that's, that's all the tour books, all the guides tell you to go to this particular spot to get this particular picture. Mm -hmm. And Instagram is becoming that photo guide for you to go and do exactly that. It's so weird. Yeah. Like, I mean, yes, I've used Instagram to like scout locations, but sure. like I'm not going there to take the same picture. And I actually actively don't do that anymore. Like people are like, hey, we're going out here. You want to bring your camera? I'm like, not really. Like, mm -hmm. I don't really care because it's, you know, those situations where it's all going to look the same and I'm not going to climb up to the other side of the fence to, like, take an illegal picture because I try to not mm -hmm. promote that as well. But 
unless I think of a way I can see things differently, mm -hmm. like I'm just not interested anymore. Yeah, because the photo exists. And as an artist, your goal is to create something that it's never existed before. Yeah, like the whole thing about, was it Antelope Canyon stopping mm -hmm. their photo tours? I'm like, I have tons of friends who've gone there and taken amazing photos, but I literally do not care because mm -hmm. the, like I wouldn't shoot anything different. Mm -hmm. So what's the point? Mm. <laughs> um, which it might just me being salty, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a little saltier yeah. in my older age now about all this stuff. Um, trying not to be. But that's why when I meet people who are just starting, um, like I have a friend, um, that I actually just went over to his house and taught him to use his brand new camera, mm. um, because he's a dancer and wants to get into doing, um, videos of dance, cool. but, um, he, you know, he had to learn the basics and just seeing how excited he was about it. It's really inspiring to mm. someone like salty, like me, <laughs> yeah. it's just like, ah, oh, these kids and uh, yeah. their same old pictures, but no, like teaching him just the basics, like aperture, shutter speed, ISO mm -hmm. and like. Like it clicking, and yeah. I get it, and I'm just like, oh yeah, this is like that feeling of like being excited about this kind of stuff again. Yeah. So it's like, I think we've overthought a lot of things, and taking it back to basics is and foundations is sure. really important. What's next for Dallas? <laughs> well, Brad. No one really knows, and especially <laughs> not me, but I can tell you what I'm doing right now. Yep. Um, so right now, my part-time job is I actually work as the graphic designer for fashion designer Kini Zamora yep. of Project Runway fame. So that's pretty cool. Um, again, it was, I stumbled into the opportunity um, because he's actually um, an alumnus of our school at HCC. Hmm. So he comes back and does talks about the industry to people. and. Um, Last year, spring, my senior semester, I happened to mention to him that I was interested in doing textile design. Um, so making repeating patterns um, for fabric because, you know, I have the Photoshop experience and um, I was making some for cosplays. Mm -hmm. So the, I had been dabbling like, oh, I have the programs, might as well learn how to use it. And he was like, oh, my gosh, like my current graphic designer is actually like leaving to go to New York to go to school for textile design. I need mm. somebody. And I was like. Oh, okay. He's like, let's set up a meeting here. I'll, I'll like put you in contact with my assistant or whatever. And I was just like, oh, well, that's this was an accident. Good thing mm -hmm. I've learned to speak up for myself a yeah. little bit. And so, yeah, I've been working since last June, um, not only doing textile design, so like working on the prints or like doing like color colorways of the different prints that he already has, um, designing custom prints for custom client orders. But I've also kind of expanded on that because he's realized I am a jack of all trades, master of being a starving artist. So um, I got to help out on a really cool project. He did a recreation of Queen Kapilani's coronation gown so that, wow. that for Iolani Palace. So that project had already like been ongoing for a good six months before I got there, but I got to do a lot of the hand finishing work. So like hours and hours and hours of hand stitching on that thing, which is me living like my French couture fashion dream, right? Yep. Like I'm not gonna make my living doing hand embroidery on things, but gosh, I sure love doing it. So it was hmm. fun to actually do that and get paid like to be working on it. Um, and then also it's allowed me to experiment a little bit. So. Um, 
if I if I do any work for him as a photographer, that's Dallas the photographer, not sure. his um, like contractor. Yeah. But Dallas the contractor will come in and I'll you know do stuff on the phone for like social media content, get to experiment with that, yeah. um, t-shirt graphic design, um, and also actually um, starting YouTube channel. So because I have some. Uh, experience editing video yep. then I've gone and helped him like put together his first new video for the year Very and that's cool. actually launching in a couple hours so that's that's kind of cool and it's a great job because it kind of very much complements my creative yeah. ADD and I get just like all over the place and I want to do all the things all the time mm -hmm. and so um, right now this is perfect plus getting experience in the fashion industry and seeing how like manufacturing actually works because he he sews everything here mm. like it is a made in hawaii brand yes. so you know they're all the industrial sewing machines are there like some of the sewers are my classmates mm. um who i've known for the last few years so um getting to see the business side of it too which i think again is the most important thing because anyone can be like i'm gonna be a designer and like do sketches but actually understanding what it takes to like order fabric, have your designs, understand your, your clientele and what they need and what changes you need to make to better market to them. Um, because again, what is design but problem solving, right? Mm -hmm. So like solving like fit issues or like marketing issues. Like one of the things is that he's been moving towards and I find super inspiring is that, you know, his, um, his customer are like local clientele. So he shouldn't be using like the mm. tallest, skinniest Amazonian models yeah. to model his stuff. He should have models who look like the people he's selling to sure. because then they can see themselves in that. And I, I can appreciate that after years of working in the fashion industry with models because that's a whole other thing. Mm. Like that's a, a problem industry that things are getting better. I mean, you look at Target ads now and like there's no retouching mm. how it used to be. Like they look like more real people. And I think that's very healthy for mm. our society as a whole. Um, but anyway, yeah, so this job, I'm getting to see all sides of it. And I think especially after the last, however, 13 years of being an adult and working, um, it's really nice to kind of be where I am at now because I think I can appreciate it more. And, mm. you know, maybe I'm not doing the most exciting thing every day, but it's still very valuable experience and learning. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the things that I, I constantly talk to young filmmakers about, which is you have to get as close as you possibly can to somebody that's doing the thing you want to do yeah. in order to learn how to do it for yourself. Because yeah. I know a lot of people start their own um, production companies or event companies, and they burn out quickly because it's a ton of work. They don't realize the the legwork it takes to actually get a business up and running and how much it takes to maintain that business and do all the creative stuff. So the fact that you get to get into a system that it's already kind of rolling, you get to see some of the, the quirks of their own idiosyncrasies, mm -hmm. how you would do it differently on your own, but you, you get to see at a very personal level how this thing works for real. Yeah. And not just for fun, not just for play. Yeah, and that's what I tell young people today. Like, Occasionally, people still come up and be like, Dallas, how do I become a photographer? Or Dallas, how do I do, how do mm. I get into this? Should I go to photo school? And I'm like, no. <laughs> One, no. Yeah. Two, um, I tell everyone that if they really want to do this, like really, really want to do this, and they're still like getting ready to go to school, they should do a business degree. 
do a business degree, minor in whatever creative thing you want to do. And then as soon as you get out of school, find yourself an apprenticeship or an internship or be an assistant because mm. you will learn so much more from actually experiencing it on the ground with someone. Don't just assume you can start it as soon as you're done. Right. Um, and again, I, I was lucky, like both of my times right out of school, I found someone to go help. Mm. And that's been immensely valuable for me. Yeah. And so I tell everyone like there, there's something to like becoming an apprentice mm. in a craft that I feel like the way our education system and college industry in the US especially, it's like kind of pushed that to the side, but it's so much more valuable. Cause mm. you know, you, you hear the stories about all the kids and they'll go and get their internship, but literally all they do the entire three months is get coffee. Mm -hmm. They're not really learning anything. Like mm -hmm. you need to, if you can find an opportunity where you're actually directly working with who, whoever's doing what you want to do, like mm -hmm. that's going to be so much more valuable sure. than anything. Yeah. And it's, it's actually, going at it with a mentality of how can I help somebody else mm -hmm. rather than how can you they, help me? Yeah. Yeah. And that fundamental shift in mentalities is so evident when somebody walks into your studio for the first time, and asks you for a job, mm -hmm. you can tell what the motivation is right out, right out the gate. So you even kind of restarting in some ways, right? Your own journey with the same humility that you did when you came right out of college is, is, is really powerful. And, and I think something for some of the next generation to, to really take to heart, like you have to go in as, as somebody who can be discipled rather than teach. Yeah. And it's cause, and learn, like, it's not about you, Yeah, which again, with the influencer culture, I feel like sometimes people are like, no, I'm the star of my own show, Exactly, but you really cannot put yourself out there like that when you're just starting. And I mean, you honestly shouldn't really ever, it should always be about everyone else because the people that just take 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 like it just sucks the energy mm. out of everything and yeah. so um i think that you know always appreciate the people that helped you and always don't go with your hand out go go out asking people what can i do for you how yeah. can i help you yeah i love that um and i think that I mean, dude, we, we went through a whole gamut of stuff. <laughs> it's kind of like my career, yeah. but you know, <laughs> I warned you. <laughs> that's, that's what I love about talking with you, Dallas. It's always fun kind of going over reminiscing about the past, but also seeing how it's leading you into the future. Um, and I always have been a huge fan of yours, still am. And no, there's my Asian humility yeah, coming in. I'm just like, there's, oh. <laughs> there's so much more great things ahead for you. We're, we're all rooting for you, Dallas. It's oh, going to be an amazing, you. amazing 2020 for you, for sure. Let's hope so, because I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready for it to be amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here. Yeah, really thank you for having it. me. I'll be back anytime if you need me to talk about any other million things that I touched on, because I'm an open book. So. Thank you for your time, Dallas. Yeah. So, Dallas, I know you got a lot of things going on. You've got social media all over the place. So tell us where we can find out more about your journey. Okay, so I'm a little all over the place as you probably can tell, um, probably the best way to find all of my things is um, go to my Twitter, at Dallas Nagata, and then my link there is my Linktree link, and that lists like all my bazillion social media accounts that I have. So 
that's probably the easiest, most direct route. Super duper cool. And that wraps it up for this episode of the B-Rad podcast. If you want more of this stuff and if you want to find out more about Dallas, go connect with her on social media and we'll catch you on the next one. Aloha.